and five. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz. Avery for three hits. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you in to the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you with a whole lot to talk about today. Going back to Saturday, and I know we kind of talked about it leading in, that was as busy of a Saturday as I can remember. Not only on campus, but just throughout all of Jonesboro. There was yeah. so much stuff going on. We had the spring game going on. We had a double header. In baseball, we had the monster truck show across the street. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, that was going on. We we didn't know about that about it. going in, but it was happening. The Red Wolves open over at the track and field complex. And then we had other stuff going on around town. My daughter was playing in a softball tournament. A whole bunch of teams there. We had disc golf. Disc golf. The pro disc golf tour was in town. Yeah, the played against sports. Jonesboro Open was uh, sixth year. Yeah, I was out there Sunday for the end of it. There was a bunch of people out there. It was funny. I was standing. I was talking to Coach David Daniel, and we were in uh, the, the tent that he had there by the 18th green, and all. And the, the leaders were back on like uh, 15, and the 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 guy who ended up winning it was two back, I think, on 15, and he ended up making an eagle, and it was like. Being at Augusta, there was this roar came through the trees. They're like, oh, well, something happened. If you didn't do anything this weekend, it was your own fault because there was plenty of stuff going on, especially on the campus of Arkansas State. So we want to start with baseball because it was a busy week for A-State baseball. And we'll start last Tuesday, the Red Wolves going to Fayetteville for a second straight season. And I had put something out on Twitter earlier in the day because as big of an event as it was last year when the Red Wolves went to Arkansas, just the fact that it was a historic event, it was the first time it had ever happened on the baseball field, it felt so much more normal Mm -hmm. this year. And and that was a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I was almost sort of taken to task at one point last week because of the lack of a big deal we turned it into because last year did my entire show at Baum Walker and then you even just could have rolled right into the pregame so we were on the air for three and a half hours before first pitch and all this stuff because it was a big to do about the first time and I said last week on the podcast that the thing that threw me for a loop last year was when we get ready to leave and the guys at Arkansas saying see you next year yeah it's like well so you spin it forward a year and it did yeah it, it felt like normal two-game midweek series and that's a good thing that's a compliment to all parties involved that you play a game and it just feels normal i'm calling the game last tuesday and i looked behind me at one point i could tell somebody was in the booth and it's our old friend former athletic director dr dean lee and he's living in northwest arkansas now he's doing great enjoying life and Got to put him on the air for about an inning and really enjoyed that visit. But I spent much of the interview kind of talking about how even when he was athletic director during a time when that game just wasn't going to happen, he still tried to make an effort at it. I actually talked to him during the interview and he said, look, I went to Fayetteville at one point and sat down with Coach Broyles and we talked about it in person and you know, at that time, it just wasn't going to happen. But he did everything in his power. It was something that he desired, seeing the Red Wolves yeah. and Razorbacks play. And what we ended up doing in football is really similar to an idea that Dr. Lee had way back in the day. They had pitched, and this isn't in the notes here, so I'm going off memory a little bit. They wanted to pitch, actually, Arkansas State host in Arkansas in Little Rock. In football, I think in, you know, what, 09, it would have been the 100th year of Arkansas State University. He mentioned that, yeah. And they called it the Centennial Bowl. We'll pay you. I believe that the, the, they'd come up with a plan that Arkansas State would pay Arkansas to play in Little Rock, and they'll sell every you know, sell every ticket for X amount of money and come out money ahead. I don't think they were allowed to ever make that pitch. 
I think university administration at the time may have snuffed it out, and they didn't get to do it. But there was a plan in place to pitch Arkansas State hosting Arkansas in Little Rock back in 2009. And, I mean, the pitch was going to be made, we're probably talking 2004 or five. they were going to propose this game to be played in 2009. But to see Dr. Lee and to see him actually watching A-State and Arkansas play was kind of neat to see things come full circle like that. Because he had been, you know, he'd been on both sides of it, right? He had been, he had, he had been yeah. at Arkansas. I mean, he was there in, in their development office. He was working. He was at Arkansas when A-State and Arkansas played in the men's NIT. He's told the story before. He said he walked, home, he walked in the house after Arkansas won, and he was working at Arkansas. And he walked in and told his wife, Reba, we cheated those guys. Look, I wasn't even close to being around here at that point, but I've heard that story more times than I can count over the years. So, you know, A-State and Arkansas playing baseball this past week. Again, it felt like a couple of normal midweek games. Cool to see in-state teams play, and you're taking on the number two team in the country, and they look like it. Arkansas is fantastic. The Red Wolves dropped the game Tuesday 10 to 1. They fall 10 to 3 Wednesday. There were some good things to come out of this. And I'm talking about on the field. Walker Williams was was a cool highlight on Tuesday nights. He actually pitched a scoreless inning Tuesday, a scoreless inning Wednesday, but this is a redshirt freshman left-hander who grew up right down the road in Springdale. And when he came in the game in the 8th inning on Tuesday night, he's facing the heart of the order for Arkansas, so some of their best hitters. He retires the side one, two, three. It was great to see. But when he came in, there were five young men that were right underneath my radio booth, actually right underneath Phil Elson's booth in the Arkansas broadcast booth, but they're right next door to us. And they had been cheering for the Razorbacks the entire game. But when Walker Williams came in, they were all on their feet for the entire inning and cheering for Walker because they were some of his best buddies from Springdale, and they were going nuts with every single pitch. So for that half inning, they were huge A-State fans cheering for their old buddy Walker Williams. So that was a highlight. And then I think one thing that was really encouraging going into the weekend was the 6th, 7th, and 8th innings on Wednesday night. We've been talking about the back end of the bullpen getting better, but we saw Kevin Wiseman come in and pitch a scoreless 6th, Brandon Anderson a scoreless 7th, and then Tyler Jeans a 1-2-3 8th inning. And I talked with Alan Dunn before the game Friday against Troy, the series opener, and I said, just how big was that? And he said, no, that was huge. That's a big confidence boost for this team. That's something we could build on because they pitched so well the previous weekend at Little Rock. And to be able to go up against the second-ranked team in the nation in the back end of the bullpen, throw three scoreless innings like that, a very, very good thing going into a big series with Troy. Yeah, because that's the thing about midweeks. Because another thing you know, on my show, somebody called one day and said, well, this, this thing's never going to be a rivalry because it's not being treated like a big deal. Well, nothing in the midweeks ever going to be a rivalry because everybody's always leaving bullets in the chamber, right? I mean, nobody's throwing, right. mid, throwing weekend starters. Now, I know Carter Holt had to get a little work in, but still, it's a different deal. So you're you're never going to kind of see your starters in that spot really get to go in and grind against the lineup like that, but those back end guys do. So that's real legit, you know, big time work for those guys. That obviously you know was a carryover from the weekend before, and then we saw a roll right into the weekend against Troy. So you take on a very good Troy team at home, and Friday morning the decision was made that. It was going to be a Friday night game, then you're going to play two Saturday. That was based off the original forecast for Sunday. It didn't yeah. end up raining on Sunday, but hey, we made sure the games got in by playing the doubleheader on Saturday. And, and I, You and I talked, I, I think, had Little Rock played a doubleheader the Friday before and you didn't lose a game in that series, mm-hmm. then they might have moved up Sunday or just tried to roll with it. But I, I think only playing two games the weekend before kind of made them a little more likely to more quickly make the call to play a doubleheader Saturday. Justin Medlin got the start on the mound Friday night in the opener. He was fantastic. He goes seven innings, which is a season long for him. 
gives up three runs, but just one of those earned. A-State did commit a couple of errors in that game, which led to two of the three Troy runs. A-State scored in each of the first three innings of Friday night's game. Jared Toler hit his eighth home run of the season in the second inning, but the Red Wolves scored those four runs early on against Garrett Gaines, who is a Sunbelt Pitcher of the Year candidate, and it's the second straight week they beat one of the Sunbelt's best pitchers. In fact, the week before, they, they beat Hayden Arnold, the starter for Little Rock, their Friday night guy, who was Pitcher of the Year last year and was having a great season again this year. But to do that back-to-back weeks against two of the best pitchers in the league, beat them both, I think says a lot. And, of course, Justin Medlin has to keep you in both of those yeah. games. So it was good to see that happen, and more than anything, besides getting the win, it was, it was good to see Medlin leave with a lead that got held, and a starting pitcher got a win. Yes, and it was the first time, first time all year this season that it, that it happened. And, and and that's not indicative. A lot of times, of the way those guys have been pitching, they had a boatload of no decisions, and a big reason. Why this is happening is because the back end of the bullpen is significantly better over the course of the last two or three weeks now. Now, in that top of the ninth inning, look, you're up four to three. Troy's got the tying run at third base in the top of the ninth, but Kevin Wiseman able to close it out. Four, three Red Wolves. Runner at third, two outs, top nine, full count to Jesse Hall. Kevin Wiseman gets that. Bell tie kicks and throws the pitch. Strike three called, and that'll do it. Kevin Wiseman with the game-ending strikeout, and the Red Wolves take the opener. So Wiseman gets his third save of the season. Justin Medlin gets his first win. A-State wins it. And then you play the two games on Saturday, and in game one, Will Nash wasn't bad. He That's right. Five innings. But the Troy starter, they've got a freshman named Brady Fuller, thought he was really, really good. He goes seven innings in game one, held the Red Wolves to just two hits. Troy ends up winning six to one. Yeah, he goes the first seven. Then they bring in a a reliever named Keaton Fuller to relieve Brady Fuller. They weren't from the same hometown. Not related. Not related. Yeah, SID made sure he he walked straight down during the break to tell me (laughs) these guys aren't related. But they pitch like it. They sure did. And look, game two, sloppy start. Red Wolves committed three errors in the first two innings. Troy scores an unearned run in the first. They add another in the second. But Carter Holt, who we'll be visiting with here in just a little bit, really settled in after that. There was a stretch where he retired 13 in a row. He ends up going a career-high seven innings, tied a career-high seven innings, gives up just an earned run, didn't walk anybody. He struck out seven, and he kept the Red Wolves in it during a time where the offense was really struggling. In fact, the first 14 innings of that doubleheader, the leadoff man hadn't reached, and the first 11 innings, and you pointed this out to me during one of the breaks, we didn't have anybody reach base with less than two outs yeah so carter holt's resolve was sort of the story of that game and i know it has a really crazy finish we'll get to but um because he came out dealing like right it's not like after the second inning he had to start pitching better he was pitching good from the get-go and they had a couple misplays behind him and so he just sort of locked it in and, and maybe he took it up another notch but also guys start making just the routine plays behind him because the errors were on pretty routine plays and he just stuck in there and kept dealing and he not getting shaken was i think the the story of what kept a state in that third game i'm going to be honest with you and i know you and i both try to be as positive as we can but the first 14 innings of that doubleheader just calling it was pretty measurable (laughs) and (laughs) everything changed with one swing of the bat. Just the entire feel of the day changed when Brandon Hager came up with two outs in the bottom of the sixth. There was a runner at second base, and Brandon Hager takes it out of the yard. Comes home with the 2-1. Hager swings and hits it deep in the left center field. This ball is gone! A home run! 
Brandon Hager has tied it up with one swing of the bat. And at that point, you're tied at two. It stays tied at two. Going all the way into the 10th inning. 18 innings wasn't enough on Saturday. We went to a 19th inning. So extra innings in the nightcap of the doubleheader. And Troy goes ahead, and you've already referenced kind of a crazy play, a two-out error in the top of the 10th. The go-ahead runs at third. You get a pop-up. It looks like the inning is going to come to an end. It's a high pop, probably about 10 feet down the first baseline. And the way that ball normally would have been was out kind of toward the middle of the infield. Middle of the infield. Ben Klutz, the third baseman, called for it. He's coming in, but it kept drifting towards the first baseline. And he ends up having to sprint. He slides to try to make the catch, but Brandon Hager, the catcher, ends up colliding with him. And the ball, which fell about a foot fair, ends up going off the end of their gloves and into foul territory. The run scores, and Troy goes on top three to two. Sickening because, like, you, you held the fort down, you worked your way back in it, and it because again, this team's not very far removed from dropping 20 out of 21. So, anybody who tells you outside of that dugout, anybody who tells you they weren't thinking, oh my gosh, that's the way this game's going to end, is probably not being very honest with you because uh, it had seemed that for this team and the way its luck has gone, that would be the way that game would end, but it didn't this time. We go to the bottom of the 10th. Three different pitchers face five different batters. Will French walks. Jared Toler walks. Garrett Olson gets hit by a pitch on what was a key moment in the bottom of the 10th. He was showing bunt, pulled it back, and he was clearly hit in the hand, but it was originally called a foul ball. They said it got part of the bat. And then after Tommy Raffo came over, to say, hey, look, he got clearly hit in the hand. The umpires got together. They talked about it. And they reversed the call. Yeah. They turned it into an HBP. As you would expect after that, the Troy head coach, Skyler Mead, comes out and loses his mind, saying, hey, why'd you reverse the call from what was originally on the field? I thought you said it was a foul ball. But the Red Wolves get the call. Garrett Olson's on base. Ben Klutz comes up. Bases loaded walk, and then Brandon Hager, who had hit the two-run home run earlier to tie it, is up there once again, and the count gets to 3-0. and You know there's no way in the world <laughs> he's allowed to swing. They do throw a strike, make it 3-1, but then after that, ball four. Chest tie, the left-hander is set. Hickson throws, misses low for ball four, and A-State wins. A walk-off walk in the bottom of the tent. The Red Wolves win the game. They take the series. And they've won a conference game for the fourth time in their last five tries. Five batters come to the plate. Arkansas State never puts the ball in play and gets a walk-off walk. Uh, to win the game in the series, and look, Ben Klutz was walking no matter what because we'd already we were talking on our broadcast. Well, what's about to happen is, you know, you're going to get if you get the bunt down, it's about to be bases loaded, one out because they're just mm-hmm. putting Ben Klutz on because there's there's no reason not to. It didn't come to that. Five guys came to the plate. Five guys reached without the Red Wolves ever putting the ball in play. So Ace Day wins four to three. They've won four out of five conference games now after an zero and twelve start. Beat a really good Troy team, two out of three. So some really good stuff happening right now. And A-State is now out of the cellar in the Sunbelt Conference standings with a chance to move up even more this weekend. We'll talk more about uh, what we've got coming up this week a little bit later on. But we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to be joined by A-State senior pitcher Carter Holt. Looking forward to that visit right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. 
Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We're pleased to be joined in studio now by our friend and the fifth-year senior pitcher out of Jackson, Tennessee. Welcome in, Carter Holt. How you doing, Carter? I'm good. How are y'all? Fantastic. Good. And a, a good time for you to be in because the team is starting to gain a little bit of confidence right now. I know it was a really tough stretch to begin this season. <laughs> and, this uh, yeah, and I know that's putting it lightly. Just going through what this team went through, losing 20 out of 21 games, the 0-12 start to conference play, but now you've won four out of five conference games. It seems, just being around you guys, like it's a completely different feel right now. So what's changed? How is the feel different down in that dugout? I think we finally realized that that Thursday night at Little Rock that, hey, we can win. We won the game. We won a one-run game. We did it. And it's like, I don't know, got that pressure off your back. And I think everyone kind of took a deep breath and it's like, okay, here we go. We can do this. And then kind of started rolling the next day. And we we got the lead early against Little Rock. And, I mean, it just kept rolling. And, I mean, you can tell the difference in the dugout now is the energy's there. I mean, it's a total 180 from those first 12 games that were just – I mean, it was a brutal stretch. And we knew we had the talent to do it. I mean, we were – I don't know the stat, but I think we lost – at least five or six one or two run games mm-hmm. and blew a few leads in the eighth and ninth. So, I mean, we knew we had it. We were right there against, I mean, if you go with the standings, those guys are at the top of the conference, Texas State, Georgia Southern, Coastal, and Lafayette. Yeah, and they were all in the top 50 in the RPI yeah. when you played them. We were right there in all of them. I mean, yeah. we were very, very well. Could have taken two out of three from most of those teams. And so we knew we had the talent, but it was just kind of getting that win and getting the confidence that, like, hey, we can do this. So I think we're kind of seeing that now and hope it keeps rolling. Number one, you you would have been out there for just a game a week anyway. Plus, you dealt with an injury we'll talk about during a lot of that stretch. So this is – you would kind of be maybe even almost an outside looking in, but real, real close when I ask you this. But do you get the sense when you're in the midst of losing 20 out of 21 that even if a game was close or you had a lead late, it was since it almost just sort of waiting for the bad thing to happen because it seemed to always be happening a little bit yeah it's i think a few times in the dugout because i'm in there talking to some pitchers that's how that's kind of how it is in the dugout you know you got your pitchers down here your hitters talking you know trying to game plan and it's always like when's when's that error gonna happen when's that bloop gonna fall in and they're gonna score two runs when's that call not gonna go our way and it kind of felt like that for a couple weeks there was always one or two things a game that just it always came back to bite us, and we were always expecting it. And I mean, now we kind of saw that this past weekend at Troy when that fly ball fell in the infield. It was like, oh no, that's a, that's the moment. It's over. Yeah, because for the month prior, that's a sure-fired loss. Oh yeah, it's we drop that ball, we lose that game. Yeah, but I think because of the way the last few games have been going, the hitters came back in the dugout and they had a different look in their eyes. Like it's like, hey, one run, we can do this. It was. Given to them, but they still did it. <laughs> they did it. They earned it. They had some good at-bats. We want to tell your story a little bit. And, again, this is your fifth year at A-State, but you're from Jackson, Tennessee. And you had a good high school career. You won a state championship in high school, correct? Yes, sir. And you were also a very good hitter. I remember seeing where, coming out of high school, at one point you were all West Tennessee hitter of the year. So when was that decision made that – you were going to take the pitching route. I had a couple offers out of high school, not here, but to do both, a couple schools. And I always thought, you know, I don't want to do both. I want to do one. And I felt like I was I was better at pitching. I felt like I had more potential at pitching. Mm. Just honestly, this was a big part of my decision, too. I don't like to run. <laughs> I mean, you can see, like, running bases just – Oh, I would get so mad in high school when people would pick me off. I'd have like a one foot lead. I'm like, come on, man. You've seen me run. The only guy out there that hated when he hit it to the gap. He just wanted to. Oh, like, man. I got to run to second bases. Yeah. If I didn't hit a home run, I was a little disappointed because I had to sprint to second or something. But no, I, I kind of made that decision in high school. And I always ask Coach Gorno, he recruited me at UT Martin. But I was like, why didn't you ever recruit me as a hitter? He just said, you're too slow. Your bat, your feet, your hands, everything. I, so I guess I was too slow for it. But, I mean, I still try to 
talk to Coach LeBounty now. I'm like, hey, give me an at-bat. And he just laughs and shakes his head. And I'm like, just come watch me in the cage some. And Coach Rafa doesn't know that I hit in the cage some, so I hope he doesn't hear this. But And then now you've got an even stronger argument because they let Medlin hit. I get so mad at Medlin because he knows I want to hit sometimes. And he comes up to me and says, like, hey, you see that ball hit the wall? You see that? And I said, yeah. Did you also see your bat almost killed the first baseman on the bat before? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, all pitchers secretly want to be hitters. Isn't that the case? Oh, absolutely. We. It's funny because if you hear us talking in the dugout, there's a pitcher up there and it's like, I could hit him. It's like a kid strikes. I'm pretty sure... Kevin Wiseman came up to me the other day and said, if I was hitting right now, I'd take this picture 450 feet. I'm like, Kevin, no, you wouldn't. And he's like, no, I promise I would. And that's how every every pitcher thinks like that. But also, if you ask any hitter, they think that they can get up there and throw 95 and get everyone out too. No, so it's kind of a little bit of both. Before we get too far away from that last topic, I do want to, if for some reason here, Coach Raffo throws you a bone down the stretch your senior season and says, Get up there. Are you going to wear batting gloves? Okay, I'm not the biggest supporter of batting gloves. I kind of like how meddling goes with the no batting glove look, but my hands sweat so much, I would have to. Okay, I would definitely have to. Yeah, meddling probably <laughs> had to rethink the uh, no batting gloves thing after that he stuck first with it? at bat. He did. He, t- he said his next at bat, the umpire told him to get in the box while he was trying to get some dirt on his hand. And meddling said, I had to tell him, like, hey, man, do you want me to kill someone with my bat? Like, I need to hold on to the bat. So, Oh, me. All right. So, you mentioned you had several schools talking to you coming out of high school. Why did you choose Arkansas State? And tell me about that first meeting with Coach Raffo. What was your initial impression of him? He was just a great man. I mean, I remember going. we went to eat, my family and Coach Raffo and his wife, and we got in the car after, and my mom was like, I could just – I would love for you to go play for that man. I was like, I agree 100%. And it's two hours away from my house. It's close. I love Coach Raffo. And I just felt like it was the best fit for me. I had some schools in Tennessee offer me. My parents might have liked that a little more. But I love Arkansas State. I don't regret my decision at all. I love this place. You came here as a freshman in 2018, and you found yourself in the starting rotation as the year went along. And I remember, and there's not a whole lot of – little moments in each season that I remember, but I remember this, and I remember Coach Raffo going to the mound to take you out of the ball game at one point, and I could tell as a freshman, you were upset coming out of the ball game, and I remember afterwards Coach Raffo saying, hey, I like that. I like that fire in Carter. Where's that fire come from for you? I really have no idea. I just, whenever I get out there, I I just have the you know the adrenaline rolling, and I kind of I don't even remember that. No telling what I told him, but I kind of black out when I'm out there. I don't really remember, but I just always want the ball in my hands. I mean, being in the dugout, I trust and support my teammates 100. percent But not being in control of what's going on is the worst feeling ever, especially during like late in the games and stuff. So I guess I just trust myself, and I just want the ball. I want to be out there. It's fun. I see that fire. He's talking about not want to come out of the game, but it's on display even now during yeah. your starts, man. We see a lot of ESPN broadcasts and a lot of fist pumping and self-talk. I mean, is it family friendly to say what those self-talk conversations are like out there? <laughs> it is. Okay. It's really just, I probably say, come on and let's go more than anyone on the planet. <laughs> like if you zoomed in, on my, come, on, come on, come on, come on, just repeatedly or let's go, let's go. I just, I don't know, man. I just I've missed so much time with injuries. I just I just try to have so much fun out there, you know, especially because it's my last year, and I just want to have the best time, and I want my teammates to see that and kind of rally behind me, and that's kind of why I do it. Again, you had kind of made your way into the starting rotation at the end of your freshman season. Then you were starting as a sophomore in 2019, but then that's when the injuries started to come, and you had to have multiple surgeries, so. Kind of tell everybody what surgeries you had and how much you've had to overcome with those injuries. Well, my sophomore year, I think it was my second or third start. We were playing UCA, and I threw a pitch. And, I mean, everyone knows kind of when that happens that it's usually your UCL. And I went to the doctor, I think, the next week, and he told me I was fine. And it just probably just some tightness. So I was like, okay, absolutely. I love that. Like, 
I'm fine with maybe I'm a little baby. I'm a little dramatic, like awesome. But then it kept coming back. So I had Tommy John surgery the end of my sophomore year. And that recovery actually went really good. It was the easiest thing ever. I mean, I was rolling through that recovery. I think I was back throwing bullpens within nine or 10 months. And Coach Raffo and uh, our old pitching coach was like, Carter, we told you you were going to miss this year, but what do you think about pitching? And I decided not to, but that's how fast that recovery went. But I think it was my fourth bullpen back the COVID year. So that would be my 2019. 2020. 2020. My hip popped. And it was really weird because my hips are always tight, you know. And I went to the trainer and she did this test and she said, we need to go get you an MRI right now. Like something's not right. And I was again, you can't be serious. I'm just getting back from my elbow. They are trying to clear me and now it's my hip. So I went to the doctor and he said, yeah, you've completely torn your labrum in your hip. So that's kind of that. So you had to have the hip surgery. How long was that recovery? The hip surgery, I was on crutches for 10 weeks, I think, mm. a long time. Mm. Really couldn't do anything. I I would go to PT and come home and just sit in a chair all day pretty much. And my entertainment was most people that have hip surgery, they aren't young. Yeah. So I would hang out with people that were like 80 years old. <laughs> And they're like, oh, we just had the same surgery you did, sweetie. (laughs) And you know how that makes you feel like I'm working out with grandmas all day. Like, that's what I was doing. You start eating dinner at 4 o'clock? Dinner at 4 o'clock, coffee at 6.30 a.m., you know, like reading magazines, crossword puzzles, all the above. So So it's easy for people who never had it to say this. So now you have, I can ask you, are you a subscriber to a pitcher likely comes back better after Tommy John? This is my take on it. I think the reason people that they come back throwing harder from the surgery is not really from the actual surgery. It's you do so much shoulder rehab from Tommy John. I mean, it's I was doing shoulder workouts three times a day, like outside of physical therapy. So I think because you have the elbow surgery, you strengthen up so many other muscles around muscles and all that stuff around your elbow and your shoulder and back and all that. And I think that's why people come back throwing a little harder. I gained a couple miles an hour, maybe. So I think it's more of the strengthening of the shoulder than the actual Tommy John surgery. So it was almost a full two years between pitching appearances for you. You finally are able to come back last year and you solidify yourself in that Sunday starter role. And last nine starts of the year, the team goes eight and one. So had a really solid season last year. And then coming into this year, you get a new pitching coach. Talk about Alan Dunn and the kind of effect that he's had on you and and what you're doing out there. I just want to say, Coach AD, that's what he tells us to call him, AD. So if I refer to AD, it's him. Mm -hmm. But he is the man. Like I'm talking about, he is the absolute best, greatest guy, coach, anything I've ever, I've ever seen. He could fire up anyone. He has me running, wanting to run through a brick wall every single day when he talks to me. So, and he's just, his knowledge and experience he has of baseball, just the way he teaches and displays it to us. I mean, it's, it's done tremendous things for me. He's also really big on the mental game, which as we talked about earlier, I get really fiery on the mound, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, he says, but also it can be a bad thing because I get really frustrated and want to make a pitch so bad because I'm so fired up. And he's kind of done a good job at trying to cool me down and like, okay, it's okay to be fired up, but we got to remember the task at hand is to make a pitch. And I mean, he's helped me so much and I'm so thankful. I mean, I wish I still had another five years to play under him. I, I tell the freshman pitchers every day, I'm like, you were the luckiest guys ever to get to play under this guy. He's amazing. Mm. You ever cracked up with the how fast he walks out to the mound? <laughs> it's hilarious. We, <laughs> it's not. It's it's not a walk. It's not a jog. It's kind of something well, in between. It, it's like a power walk. The funniest thing ever is Philip Bryant can replicate anything AD does. <laughs> it, it, and AD will sometimes walk through the locker room and. He's caught Phil doing it a couple times, and he can't even not laugh about it. It is so funny watching Phil do it. We got to see this. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get Phil to replicate it for y'all guys one day. <laughs> you start the season, and it, it's not too far into the year, and you get injured once again. But this is an injury that's a little bit different. 
tell us what it was. And I'll tell you off the front here that AD has been coaching for a really long time. He had never seen this injury before. It was the weirdest thing. I started feeling some just a weird feeling in my finger for I think it was right before my Missouri State start. Now, this is the index finger in your pitching hand, Index right? finger in my pitching hand. I just started feeling some discomfort, and I just thought maybe I jammed it. You know, we work out and do stuff all the time, so maybe I just did something weird to it. And felt weird that start. Kaysen came up to me, our catcher at the time, and said, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And he said the ball just had a weird spin coming out of it. So it was like something's weird. And I pitched that day, and then the next day it started getting worse and worse, and gradually I couldn't even drive the ball. And right before we played Texas State, it was our first conference series. Mm -hmm. I was going to try to pitch to it, obviously. I I mean, it's my senior year. I don't want to miss any time. But Kaysen came up to me after I threw, started throwing on the side, and he said, I'm not letting you pitch today. And I almost wanted to fight him. I love Case with my whole heart. But I was like, you're not telling me I'm not going to pitch today. And he goes, no, like, you're going to hurt the team more than you're going to help the team, just the way that the ball is coming out. So I said, okay, you're right. So I went to the doctor, or went to Lorenzo, and he, our trainer, he told me, let's go to the doctor. Went to the doctor, got an MRI and x-ray, and basically just said that there was some tendon damage in there. And it's because this is the hand, the pointer finger, it's a really sensitive area. And anytime those tendons get swollen or they get micro tears in it, and it can really mess up the way that you can hold the baseball. But there's nothing you can do for it, really. It's either you can have surgery to, so they can go in there and clean it out, which that's not an option, mm-hmm. or I can get a shot. And I went the shot option, and it's felt great now. But it was awful having to wait out that, I think, five, four or five starts I missed. Yeah, so... Over it, a finger. Basically, tendonitis. Pretty much, in, yes. In the lower part of your index finger. And you've been back three starts now and having no discomfort. It feels great. And back to what you said about AD not knowing anything about it. I had never heard of it. Our trainer had never heard of it. AD had never heard of it. And then within a three-week period, we found five pitchers that had it. It was um, Randy Dobnak for the Twins. A pitcher for Gonzaga has it. Uh, And there were a couple others. I think one was actually a position player, but Evan Longoria is out with the same thing right now Mm. for the Giants. So it's Uh. AD was like, I'd never heard of this. And then now I've seen four or five cases, including you, in the past months. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but everyone's fingers are messing up now. So And now you're coming off... Your longest start of your career, tied for your longest start, went seven innings and uh, a no decision, but uh, the team ends up winning the game back uh, in the final game of the doubleheader on Saturday. So obviously you're feeling as good as you have all year. I'm ready to roll. I think we throw at four o'clock today and I'm ready. I'm going to go let it eat. I'll I'll practice. I'm feeling great. You had uh, sort of made your niche last year when you got back starting the third game of a series. At one point this year, kind of came out starting the first game and then kind of worked your way back. For somebody who is clueless like myself, tell me, you know, sort of what's the difference and how that was sort of more your comfort zone? I didn't feel this, but Coach Raffo and AD both told me that I was out there trying to be Superman on Friday. Kind of, because, you know, everyone knows Friday night is your, that's your ace. And they said that. They basically saw me out there doing things that they haven't seen me do all fall and spring. They were like, because like your fall, like no one could hit you. Like you were pitching great. Like you were go out there having fun. And then now you're in game on Friday nights and you're putting all this pressure on yourself. So they said, we're going to move you back to Sunday where you were last year and where we had a lot of success. And I was a little upset at first, but it's like, you know what? Let's go win Sundays. You know, it's it's still an important game of yeah. the series. It's, yeah, counts I mean, just as much. You're either trying to sweep, win a series, or not get swept. So they're all very important, right. especially in conference play. So threw my pity party to the side. And after about 30 minutes, I was like, all right, let's go get a win. So I like pitching on Sundays. It's it's in the day. I don't like having to wait all day to pitch. I like to wake up, go to the field, and play. So I, I really enjoy pitching on Sundays. Had a couple of big honors during your time at A-State. You were the Heart and Hustle Award winner here in the last couple of years. Named after our good friend Ed Way, the late Ed Way, which uh, is a great honor. I also remember when I had hosted the State Awards last year, you were part of a moment that I've always wondered about (laughs) at award shows. What if this happens? 
What if this plays out and somebody gets an award and it's announced and the person isn't there? So I get up on stage. I name Carter Holt as the winner of the Scott and Kay Dawson Ambassador Award. We look around. Coach Raffo's standing up. He's looking around for you. Carter Holt's not coming to the stage. What happened? I don't want to, like, I'm going to keep this as clean as it is. I, my stomach was hurting really bad. <laughs> so I, uh, I had to go to the bathroom and <laughs> I couldn't hear anything. Like, if you would have called my name, I would have found a way to get out there as fast as I could. But I'm sitting there and my phone starts in my pocket, just vibrating crazy. <gasps> And my girlfriend actually plays volleyball here, so she was she was there, and she says, where are you? And she flips the camera around, and it's like everyone's just looking, and I see Coach Raffo standing up on FaceTime just looking, and she said, you just got an award. And I said, Tatum, you have to do something. I, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm in the bathroom. Like I can't leave right now. And, I mean, I'm talking about – I probably got 50 text messages yeah. from all my I have football friends, basketball friends, all my friends on all the sports. They're like, dude, like, where are you? I just told them and took care of my business, I guess, and got out there. And by the time I got out there, it was over. And everyone was leaving. But I still got to come up there and talk to you all and get it, I think. You did. I remember that part. I've just always been curious. You know, what if that happens when you're watching one of the big awards? What if they're in the bathroom and it actually happened with – with you it was funny because at this year's state awards ben klutz was up for an award he didn't know when they were giving that award and i was sitting by ben and he kept saying i have to go to the bathroom and i said no i'm not letting you go but he went i'm not kidding right when he went they said all right our next award it was some academic achievement award Mm -hmm. they said up for nominee ben klutz I got up and ran to the bathroom, and I got Ben. I was like, Ben, you got to come. He didn't win, but I made him sit there, and he was not going to miss it if he did win. <laughs> See, I thought Well, that's sto- a good teammate. What I thought where this story in my head was Ben was up for the award. Carter told him, you can't go to the bathroom, so he stayed. He didn't win it. And the moral of the story was if you're up for the award, go to the bathroom. It ups your odds that's of right. winning it. But that's not how it turned out. Undefeated going to the bathroom at an award show. So. <laughs> I know we were talking about it off the air before we started recording. You've already got your undergraduate degree. What is that in? A business administration. Okay, business administration, but you're very close to getting your master's now. Two classes left. I got a presentation on Wednesday and a presentation on Thursday, and then I'm done with school and starting the best time of the year, which is no school, just baseball. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about... We always, this is what we look forward to. We mark down the date and it's, we're, we're done with school and it's just go play. It's, it's the best time of the year. We also talked a little bit before we started recording about your family. And you, one thing you said, you had a, a little brother who's a, a good baseball player, but really likes football. Mm-hmm. And you walk in here and like, you're a big dude. Did you play any football? I did not play football. I played basketball a little bit growing up, but I went to a really small high school. Our coach always said, Carter, be a great left tackle. I said, no, coach, I'll come play, but put me at quarterback. I want to sling it. (laughs) (laughs) And we eventually talked where he said, I'll put you at tight end. How about that? I said, you know, that'd be fun. Yeah, I can see you as a tight end. I got some good hands, you know. My friends on the team were like, hey, you know that our tight end doesn't run routes. It's just an extra blocker all the time. time." So I went to him, I said, hey, coach, uh, I don't want to block. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not ever going to catch the ball. I don't want to play. So I never played football. He tried. He almost got. Yeah. You. He almost did. I was more I, basketball coach wanted me to play too because, like I said, small high school. I was the biggest person there. But I was. Like, I just want to stand in the corner and shoot threes, coach. I don't want to be in the paint. So that's what big men do now. They shoot threes. That's right. Yeah, that's true. How good can this uh, team finish here? You look at any teams that have success in this league. And it all starts with their pitching. I think you've seen the last couple of weeks that our starters have gotten some some length in the games, and we've kind of got some roles solidified in the back end of our bullpen with Brandon Anderson, Kevin Wiseman, and then passing it off to Tyler Jeans. I think if we can continue pitching the way we have, we're going to keep our offense in the game, always a chance to win the game. And, I mean, if we keep doing that, we can go as far as we want to. 
wrapped it up. I know this is something that Matt and I will already have discussed earlier in the podcast, but we talked about, and you've mentioned how uh, with the way that ball hit the ground at the end of the game in the 10th inning Sunday, that would have been a loss. You said, hey, it was different because the offense came in and said, we can get a run, no big deal. But then you only got one run. You got two without ever putting the ball in play. Not one time. You ever seen anything quite like that? Okay. If Brandon Anderson's listening to this, I'm really sorry. He's my he's my best friend on the team. And I told him I would never talk about this moment again. But earlier in the year, Georgia Southern. We mentioned that started with two outs and even got right. one point to two strikes. Right. So at least at some Several point. Several points to two strikes. Well, at right. least at yeah. one point, the ball got in play. No, yeah. In I, the bottom of the 10th, the, other than getting pitched, the ball was never Never live. in play. And that's the craziest thing. I mean, we might have been out there all night before they got an out. I mean, I... It would have been awesome to see, like, hey, can we keep playing to see this? Like, I mean, it had to be some sort of record. I don't know. It's got to be a pitcher's nightmare, right? Oh, I can't imagine that bus drive back. And I also can't imagine that dude had to not feel great coming. I think, was it a 1-0 or 2-0 count? Bases loaded? 1-0, like, that's a brutal situation to be in for a pitcher. Yeah, thanks, coach. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you putting me in. (laughs) I mean, and he, I don't think he got very many warm-up pitches either. Like, he sprinted down there, threw a couple, and they're like, hey, bud you're in well we can't wait to see you back in there sunday at uta should be a fun weekend once again but uh this has been a fun visit thanks for coming in it's been fun watching you throughout your time here at arkansas state look forward to a big finish this year thank you all so much for having me i've had a great time that's carter holt joining us here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank we've got more to come right after this the simmons bank card alerts app lets you get more from your simmons debit and credit cards Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Fantastic visit with Carter Holt. What a great young man. And you can tell yeah, he's fired up. Yeah. Like he should be about this team right now. And he is he is a fiery competitor. Uh, it's fun to watch him out there because he is so into the game. And yeah, I heard what he said with you uh, post-game on the broadcast. So he, he had to kind of, you know, sitting through the first game of the doubleheader, he's, he's got to figure out a way to kind of dial himself down. So he's still got mm-hmm. enough in the tank to go pitch. So good teammate, and I really enjoyed that visit. One of the bigger headlines of last week, we haven't got to yet, but I want to address it here. Tom Bowen stepping down from his post as the athletic director at Arkansas State. So for the second time in just over a year, Arkansas State looking for a new AD. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that process plays itself out because apparently that search is going to run basically concurrent with the chancellor search. Kelly Danfuss has said you know, he's he's willing to help and be involved in that. He doesn't he doesn't want to have too much say because he knows he shouldn't have too much say, but he's willing to sort of assist Dr. Welch in any way possible during that process. Chuck Welch, president of the system, said he'll head, he'll head that search up and. I think it's likely you could see an AD and a chancellor named at almost the same time, or, or don't be surprised if you see an AD named before you know who the next chancellor is. It was a big weekend. We referenced that earlier in the podcast, and one of the biggest events on campus this past weekend was the spring football game. Butch Jones' team out at Centennial Bank Stadium on Saturday afternoon, and they tried to set up a couple of teams and make it a, a game like situation as best they could the black team consisting of the number one offense and the number two defense the red team was the number two offense the number one defense and it was evenly matched in fact it went to overtime with the black team winning it in a two-point shootout 30 to 28 James Blackman along with Jackson Daly, the highly touted true freshman, like Blackman, threw three touchdowns in the spring game the other day. So good to see both of those guys getting significant action. Yeah, and I know one of the headlines from the the week past was that A-State, from a social media standpoint, Arkansas State picked up a commitment from a quarterback that's coming in from Miami and Ohio. But that's just 
I think more than anything, if I was kind of speaking for Coach Jones, and not that I've heard him say this, but just that's to keep yourself out of a situation where you've had one quarterback that's got game snaps. And I know Wyatt Beagle had some, but not enough to really matter, and they've been moving him around a little bit anyway. That's uh, To me, bringing another, another quarterback with game experience is not any sort of mark or indicator on James Blackman or Jackson Daly. James Blackman is the guy. Yeah, Jackson Daly is the guy they're big on. But he's never played in a game. Yeah, good to have somebody else with some experience on that roster. You mentioned Wyatt Beagle. Kind of big news this past week that he's been taking snaps at receiver as a slot receiver. He actually had three catches for 30 yards in the spring game. Look, he's just a great athlete. You want to get him on the field any way you can. There was discussion at the end of the year last year about him possibly playing running back at some point but it looks like he might have found his spot at that slot receiver position yeah he, there was a week where he he did some work with the running backs when a state was getting thin there last year but it, it, it's just what you said he was committed to the previous staff coach jones came in and liked him enough that they still wanted to bring him in and then they figured out hey what you said this guy's too good an athlete to keep standing on the sideline as a guy in the quarterback room. They've experimented with different ways to get him on the field, and it seems like they may be on to something here. Top receiver Saturday, Jeff Foreman. No surprise there. He's back and had six catches for 120 yards, three touchdowns. And then defensively, Travian Thomas with a, a game-high eight tackles in the spring game. King Makuda, who I'm looking forward to visiting with extensively, the Alabama transfer, and hopefully we're able to get him on the podcast soon. But he had four tackles and a sack in that ball game. Of course, got a chance to see Kavon Bennett play at that linebacker position for the first time. And I think everybody's kind of looking forward to seeing some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball. I'm excited, yeah, about the the front seven, but even more specifically about the, the linebacker group because, to me, that was the biggest question mark on defense. You know, a lot of times you spend so much time thinking about, well, how much are you pressing a quarterback? Well, that's all about up front. Well, how much, how many deep passers are getting completed against you? That's all against the back end. Well, no, you know, it, it's all against all of it, and a lot of times the, the guys who – that middle level of the defense, I think, is where – there was the most room for improvement. And I think they've addressed that. And I'm excited to see those linebackers out there when the fall comes around. The women's golf team finished up their season this past week. And they finished third at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament down in Daytona Beach. That's their best finish as a team since the 2000-2001 season. So congratulations to MJ Davian Shaw and her girls for a fantastic season, uh, a fantastic finish in that tournament, and our our new buddy, Olivia Schmidt. (laughs) who was great last week. A lot of great feedback on her interview from last week's podcast. She finishes tied for fourth in the tournament. Elise Schultz finished tied for seventh. Now, when we visited with Olivia, we knew she was going straight from Florida down to Puerto Rico. And we knew she was going to play in the U.S. Women's Amateur Four Ball. Didn't know at the time just how quick of a turnaround that was because they wrapped up the Sunbelt Tournament in Daytona Beach, Tuesday afternoon. She was teeing off the next morning mm-hmm. in and, Puerto Rico. Well, and Elise, I mean, right? With Elise. Yeah, they, and they their each... dads were, were with them. They caddied for them down at the women's four ball. And not only did they go, but they played well enough to make the final 32 and get to match play. Yeah, I mean, they finished the Sunbelt Tournament and basically – Loaded up, drove to the airport, and got on a plane to Puerto Rico. Got to Puerto Rico, got up the next morning, got on the range, and played. And made it into the match play. Top 32 qualified for the match play. They got there as the 24 seed. Took on the team that was the 9 seed going into match play. Birdied the 16th hole to tie the match. And then uh, on 18, the other team you know, made a birdie and won one up. A fantastic yeah. week and one that I'm sure Olivia and, and, and by the way, Elise will never forget. Olivia's uh, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast, we'll, we'll know the answer because then can find out Wednesday. But her season might not be over. She's in a great spot to potentially qualify as an individual for the NCAA championship. The track team was back at it this past week. In fact, they hosted the Red Wolves Open. 
a great meet, all kinds of great times. I do want to mention Cameron Newton-Smith setting a new school record in the Javelin, 47.36 meters, but that's what we do anymore. There, There's so many good finishes for the track and field team every week. We really only have time to mention the school records, but the good thing <laughs> is there seems to be a new school record going down every single week with this bunch. Yeah, I mean, you, um, you run out of things to say, quite honestly. They're just rolling as a program it's fun to watch another you know big weekend at home and you know they'll be they're not very far away from uh, you know going after another couple outdoor championships and don't be fooled they'll head to that meet as the team to beat there's zero question about that oh yeah do want to mention one other thing here football related jonathan adams getting some attention over the weekend he's playing in the usfl now for new orleans and Hopefully, if if you've checked out social media here in the last couple of days, you've seen some of his plays because he had multiple good catches. I think he finished with five catches for 92 yards. Mm -hmm. But one of those catches, a one-handed grab down the sideline, which earned him as the number five play on SportsCenter. Yeah, and and even uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless had it on Monday morning dissecting that play. A heck of a play by Jay and... We've seen it before. Yeah. Rooting for him to there, done that. get to the next level. All right. We've talked about a ton of things here. Mm-hmm. What else did we need well, to Well, I told you. I tipped about? you off Saturday. Oh, said, you Let's did. don't forget what we want to rant about at the end. Because I, I might get in on this one with you. <laughs> for, I usually for, don't join in, but well, this, I, I might. This here. is for all the crowd that thinks Stoltz and I are just too positive about anything Arkansas State. Because I got to tell you, the most poorly designed room on God's earth. Very well and very likely may be. I thought you were going to say on campus, but I'll go with God's earth too. The men's room at Tomlinson Stadium. Yes. (laughs) This thing, and I don't know how far back this thing goes. That's why we can rip on it because probably people that did it aren't anywhere around. But even if they were, I would like to sit down and say, at what point did you draw this out, finish it, step back and go, whew, we did it. We we nailed this thing. This so you there are there are two sinks, which is you know, if we're being honest, one too many, given the size of the restroom. And then there are uh, the on, on one end, and then there's one stall with a with a toilet. Yes. In the door and the whole bit on the other. and uh, But in amongst the two sinks and the one stall are two urinals practically touching each other. No it's, divider. Uh, of, of which I've You been say around. touching each other. I mean, really. I mean, there's maybe six inches from the edge of one urinal to the next. I, I'm a, I'll put it to you like this. If I was in a really... And this, honestly, it's funny, we've already had emergency restroom situations come up in this podcast. But if I was in one, and I just needed to pee so bad I couldn't stand it, and I went into that men's room, and someone was in the, the stall, and someone was at one of the urinals, and I just couldn't wait, I would pee in one of the sinks before I went to pee in the second urinal. <laughs> and that's the honest-to-goodness truth. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you never see two people standing next to each other there's always just the line and everybody's waiting (laughs) no i've never seen anybody have to go bad enough to use both urinals at the same time because you literally would be touching the other person yeah it's just a little bit other than having other than if i was with my nine or six-year-old that's the only possible situation i could conceive using both those urinals at the same time and, and maybe not then either and it's the only men's room in the whole place. And then on top of that, yeah, it's a you know we we had to go up five flights of stairs or down five flights of stairs to get there. Either one of us ever hit the lottery, and and we gave a gift to Arkansas yes. State. It would be a new press box at Tomlinson Stadium, and that press box would include a bathroom. Yeah, if, if I gave, the I've money, called so many games over the years where there's zero chance for me to go to go. the bathroom. You're in the course of a game. Can't do it. Cannot do it. I've said it a lot. If I won the Powerball and gave them the money to build that press box, 
the only thing I'd want my name on is the men's room up there in the at the media area. <laughs> you don't have to name the whole thing after me, but damn it, we're putting my name on that men's room door. I'd be thankful for you every time I went in there. <laughs> so I mean, it's I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I mean, I've been around here you know nineteen years now, and I don't know that I've ever gone in the women's room at Tomlinson Stadium. If I ha- I can't remember, but I'm guessing there aren't two toilets touching one another. I haven't been in there either, which is, you know, I'm sure everybody's relieved to hear that. Well, even like going in without a game even going on. I yeah. can't remember that. And now I might. Now I might just walk, pull in there one afternoon just to walk in and check it out to see if they have to deal with anything like what's going on in the men's room. It's been a really fun show. Thanks again to Carter Holt for hanging out with us. Appreciate Caleb Garner bringing them by. Caleb, Mark, Jerry, they, they're always great. Yeah, it's- Caleb and Mark are really good. <laughs> I sent a tweet out earlier today. I know you saw it. The stat sheet from the spring football game. Yeah, I had all the stats in it. They did a full stat book. But the referee was listed as Jerry Scott for the spring football game. I got a kick out of that. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty good. Thanks again for listening. For Brad, I'm Matt. This has been the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.